really learned a lesson this year. Our, we have so many good speakers in this congregation that I probably just don't need to even plan to preach next season of generosity. Um, but thank you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I grew up uh, going to church in 10 buildings. Uh, it's the only way that uh, I really ever experienced church in probably the first two decades of my life. Uh, the very first church that I attended was uh, a small church in Milton, Florida. And uh, this church had, had bought a large piece of property. It was uh, green as far as the eyes could see, at least to a you know, nine, ten-year-old boy. It just felt like it went on for forever. Uh, but we didn't have enough money for, uh, for a building, uh, so instead we retrofitted a mobile home into a church, cleared out the middle for a sanctuary. We installed two bathrooms up front and just two, uh, the back bedrooms turned into classrooms. And this was where I spent the first decade of my life uh, in a church with wheels. About uh, at 10 or 11, my family decided that we were going to, to move on and we were going to go to another church. And I can remember uh, moving down the road, maybe 10 or 15 minutes. And I remember the first time that I drove to this new church, it seemed like it was at least 10 times the size of the old church. It was humongous. And the whole front uh, was this beautiful red brick, and it wasn't until a couple of weeks later that we drove around and parked on the side, and I realized that this was still a tin building, just with bricks on the front. It was the only way, like I said before, that I experienced church. This is what church seemed like to me. So in my early 20s, I went away to Vanderbilt Divinity School, and in my first semester, I took a class in comparative religions, and I remember sitting in this class and hearing about all of these different ways that other people experienced their own faith group and their own church. And about midway through the class, we had a conversation about church architecture. And I remember sitting there confused as we looked at these pictures of these beautiful buildings, these huge structures, and I'd never really thought about how much money went into not only building, but sustaining these kinds of buildings. And I sat there in that class, and I looked around, and no one else looked like they were confused. But inside, the kid who grew up in 10 buildings just couldn't compute what this was all about. And before I knew it, I had raised my hand. I don't even know that I meant to do it. And my professor called on me, and I said, doesn't it just seem like we could use the money for these buildings to do ministry, to do outreach, to feed the hungry? Doesn't it seem like this is the kind of things that we should be doing with our money rather than building these huge buildings? And then I remember a whole class of people with a vast level of experience that I didn't have. And my professor gently and kindly teaching me about spaces and how they can create for us thin places, places of beauty where people have invested money and time and talent and creativity in order to create these unique spaces where people can come and for a moment glimpse God not only in the face of their neighbor but also in the creation, this building that they have 
that they have built and offered up to God. I still have some questions, right, about how we spend our money in the church, but that was a moment for me that my vision of who we are as the church expanded, and I was able to appreciate something new that I had not seen or thought about before. I tell you this because as I read the gospel passage for this week, it was one of those rare moments where I could not really relate to what the disciples were saying. The disciples are always saying all kinds of things that I'm like, yeah, I probably would have said that too. Yep, that's exactly how I would have responded to that particular teaching. But in this moment, Jesus and his disciples are walking out of the temple and the disciples begin to point and they tell Jesus, wow, look at these huge buildings made of these large stones. Erica this week in our staff meeting said, it sounded like they were trying to impress Jesus. And I think that that's exactly what they were trying to do. Look at these huge accomplishments. And Jesus's response had to have been unexpected. Just like I think for us, it is supposed to be unexpected. It's the reason that it is recorded because we too sit in beautiful buildings made of large stones. And Jesus tells the disciples, one day all of this will be gone. There won't be a single stone left. Everything, everything will be thrown down. This must have internally thrown the disciples into a panic because there are certain things about our lives that bring us great stability. People, places, routines, the things that we look at and we go, this is unshakable. This is the thing that brings me great comfort and great stability in my life. This will never, everything else will change, but this will not change. And maybe if for a moment today we thought about the last year and a half and all of the things that have changed and things that we always thought would be the same suddenly were upended and disrupted and our lives both individually and corporately were changed, maybe we can relate to the panic that the disciples felt. And so a little ways down the road, they're sitting with Jesus on the mountaintop and they are looking across at the temple And they finally ask the question that they have been holding on to and that's been bothering them. When will these things happen? I can't tell you how many times as a kid I would read the Bible and I would see scary things there in the text and I would go, oh my gosh, when when is this going to happen? I, I need to know the roadmap. I feel such great anxiety. And Jesus responds so compassionately. And this is the place where I begin to relate to the disciples. They are now asking the questions that I would ask too. But Jesus tells them that these things have been happening throughout history. There's always been wars. There's always been rumors of wars. There's been famines and earthquakes and winter storms that we didn't expect or maybe we did expect but didn't plan for. And there's been pandemics and sickness and illness. There have been all of these things. And Jesus tells his disciples, this is not the end, but it is just the beginning of the birth pangs. But the birth pangs of what? 
What is being birthed? I suspect that it is maybe more complex than what I'm about to say to you. But I think what is being birthed in this moment when Jesus is talking to his disciples and even now today, what is being birthed is the kingdom of God. What does that look like? Jesus is beginning to tell them that they need to move their focus away from large buildings with big stones that seem permanent but are temporal. And they, they need to begin fixating and fixing their minds on things that are, are eternal and that will never crumble. And we didn't plan this. This is just the lectionary reading. But it's a strange reading to read on the last uh, Sunday of the season of generosity. When we're asking for finances and gifts and talents. And then we're telling you all of this is going to crumble away. But I think that it is the most appropriate passage that we possibly could have read today because what if, I wonder, what if we became a church that was focused not on temporary things and not on building bigger buildings or not trying to reach whatever metrics or stepping stones or milestones that we believe mean success and what if we began to focus on things that were eternal? What if we stopped thinking about creating the most beautiful spaces because, goodness gracious, it's already out there. And what if we begin to fix our minds and our hearts and our ministries and our finances on building the kingdom, on inviting it into every space, every nook and cranny of our life because everywhere you go, if you carry the kingdom with you, it, it becomes bigger and it enlarges more and more until until it covers the earth. I'll give a dollar to Sherman Williams later. Nobody got that. (laughs) What if we were this kind of church that focused on the eternal rather than the temporal? I think for too long we have followed those kind of metrics. I don't mean here at Reconciliation. I mean the church in general. We have chased after success in man-made terms. And the truth is, is not only have we chased after man-made metrics, but we have also created our spaces and we have included some but excluded others based on these metrics, these signs of success. So what does it look for us practically today? What does this mean for us in our community, in the Church of Reconciliation? What kind of church will we be? The first thing that I want to say to you is we need to divorce ourselves from any kind of caste system where one person is looked at as higher than the other or more desirable than the other because of whatever category they inhabit. And that means that this place has to be open for everyone. Are you male or female or uh, non-gender binary? Are you straight or gay, lesbian or bisexual or asexual? Are you transgender or cisgender? What category do you inhabit? The truth is, is that it doesn't matter. You are welcome here. And at this table that Christ has invited us to, there is room for everyone, and this is what it means to build a church that is eternal and not temporal, because in the kingdom of God, there are not walls that keep people out, but there is a table big enough for every single person, and God welcomes you there.
which means the Church of Reconciliation should also be that way, a place that welcomes everyone, that tells you that you are capable of love and deserving of love yourself. But it's going to take all of us getting committed to it, and it means that when we build a budget or design ministry programs or have a youth event or put out a dunk tank and throw me in the water 30 times, that all of these things, all of these things have to be centered around welcoming every single person that God has created in beautiful diversity. And as I look out on this congregation today, what I see is a mosaic of God's face looking back at me because God's image is stamped in you. This is what the season of generosity is about. Not about building a new building, not about creating a bigger budget, not about hitting this hash mark or, or reaching this point on some sort of a thermometer scale, but it's about us centering ourselves around this table and welcoming all, focused not on big buildings and big stones or the temporal, but centering ourselves around the, the eternal, radical, reconciling love of God. I pray that you will join me, and I know that you are already doing that work. I am excited about our future together. Amen.